You're listening to Journal with Jenny. This podcast will give you ideas to apply writing and journaling strategies that will help you focus on what matters most to you while exploring some of life's big questions. This is your host, Jennifer Traster, a mom, wife, teacher, learner, and expert in using journaling and writing that will empower you to write your best life story and live it. Thank you for tuning in to an extraordinary episode of the Journal with Jenny podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce our incredible guest, Merle Saferstein. As an esteemed educator, speaker, author, and pioneer in the field of legacy journaling, she has dedicated herself to guiding others on a path of leaving a lasting impact through their words. For an astounding 48 years, Merle has embraced the practice of journaling, amassed a collection of 380 journals that beautifully document her life story. Her commitment to chronicling her experiences, thoughts, and dreams has transformed her into a beacon of wisdom and inspiration for countless individuals. In this captivating episode, Marl will share her latest book, Living and Leaving My Legacy, Volume 2. Drawing from her sacred legacy work and extensive knowledge in journaling, Merle has guided thousands of people on a profound journey of self-discovery and personal transformation. Get ready to be inspired as Merle shares her unique perspective on the power of journaling, self-reflection, and the sacredness of preserving one's legacy. Welcome, Merle Saferstein. I'm so happy that you're here on the Journal with Jenny podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And I was wanting to start out just so that our audience can get to know a little bit about you. Um, What do you want to tell us about yourself? I think the first thing I want to say is that um, I've been an educator all my life. And I also have been journaling for since 1974. So the combination of the two of them has really um, been, I think, who I am, most of all. My last job in my career was I was the director of educational outreach at a Holocaust center for 26 years, had the opportunity to work with approximately 500 Holocaust survivors and to help them pass along their legacy of remembrance. And so when I quit that job, you know, when I finally retired at age 67, I knew that I was retiring because I really wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And So I left knowing that I was going to write, but I also spent a year looking at my life and trying to decide what it was I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I knew that I wasn't done, but I also knew that 26 years of working in Holocaust education was, was, I had accomplished what I really wanted to. And so before I left, I spent this year really asking myself questions about what I thought my life should look like. And so when I retired, by the time I walked out the door, I knew I was going to write a book. I knew I was going to speak. I knew I was going to teach. And I knew I wanted to volunteer. And so right out the door, that's exactly what I've done. And so for the last 11, I guess it's going on 12 years now, Mm -hmm. I've really been able to lead a very meaningful life and am so grateful for that opportunity. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing and for being here on the podcast. And I think that you'll have a lot of wisdom and ideas to share with our listeners. 
and I've I've read your first volume of your um, living and leaving my legacy book, and I yeah. I really enjoyed getting a glimpse into your um, personal journals, but then also how I could apply it myself with your journaling prompts. And it, I, I liked the, the layout of the book and the way that you thought through how you would share it because it's very different than most books that I've read, but it makes it very engaging. And so I, I love that you have this educator background. I do too. Um, and I think you really thought out how you would engage your readers so that then they could go and use um, some of the ideas that you've uh, found through your teaching and then also through your journaling. So I'm, I think that our audience will really enjoy hearing more about that as well. And so I'm curious, how did you decide how to set up your book? And how has your writing personally and then also through your um, educating and career um, maybe changed or shifted throughout the years? Well, let me start with telling you why I wrote this book. So it's okay. it's actually two volumes. I just published the last one um, two weeks ago. So it's all yeah. very new and exciting. Yes, it is. When, in, 2000, in 2000, I had... Um, well over 300 journals, and I had two children. And I had always thought that I was going to be leaving my journals to my children, not that I wrote them for my children, because I definitely wrote them for my eyes only. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like that's something I probably should be doing. And then I started really looking at that and realizing that I really did write these journals for myself and that there are things in there that, that really no one else should see. Plus, I had lots of people share their confidences with me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would need to process what I was told. And so I'd, I would do that through my in my journals. And then I realized that I couldn't leave my journals to my children. It would be betraying the trust of so many people. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I decided to really think about what I was going to do with my journals. So as an educator, I also kept saying to myself, I can't have filled this many journals without having something significant to say. And so what I decided to do was embark on a project, which turned out to be a very long 21 years worth mm -hmm. of going back and reading my journal. So at the time I started, I had 340 journals. I ended up um, going through 359 journals. So so wow. they were from 1974 mm -hmm. to 2016. When I, the way I just approach it was by topic. So what I would do is when I started reading my journals, I would take little post-it notes and mark the topics that I, you know, mark excerpts that I thought were worth sharing. Some of them I knew I was never going to share, but I wasn't ready to just leave them in my journals. I might want to look at them again. And so this, that piece of going through those journals took 14 years. And I was, part of the time I was working for a good part of the time, but I was doing this um, on an airplane at line at the bank. I mean, when I, I carried my journals with me all the time. Mm 
I always had a journal to write in. And then while I was doing the journal project, I had that as well. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know what the outcome was going to be, but I had 70 different topics in the end. I started with 40 topics, and then then as I read, I, I just found more. When I finished that that phase, I then had to decide which topics I wanted to share. And so I, I eliminated a lot and yeah. realized that, that I could only have probably 10 or 11 topics in each book. Some of the topics that I had done were anywhere from 75 pages to 450 pages. Wow. Online, I mean, um, <laughs> not double space, single space, typewritten, you know, as mm-hmm. I had put them into the, the um, computer. They were, all my journals are handwritten, but, but then I put this into the computer. So that took another five years to eliminate, to go through, to decide. Initially, I was taking all the upbeat, wonderful, top, wonderful excerpts. And then one of my friends who's a psychologist said, that's not going to work because people are going to want to be able to relate and no one's life is all good. And right. so then I went back and started pulling some of the tough stuff, which oh, wow. really left me very vulnerable. Yeah. And and I also realized, I mean, there was a lot of self-doubt, you know, like who would want to read this? Why am I doing this? And so I just kept saying to myself, just do this for your children mm-hmm. and your nieces and your nephews. And, and then you'll think about the rest. It turned out that I, um, I finally picked the topics. And then when I decided to do the, to decided to, share this with a bigger audience, I realized I was doing it for two reasons. The one, the first one was to help people understand the value of journaling, the benefits of journaling, Mm -hmm. because that's really important to me. And the second was to look at my life, not because it's my life, but to look at my life as a mirror into one's own. Mm -hmm. And so through the legacy work that I've done and the legacy teaching that I've done since I retired, I realized that this is this is really um, a gift, a legacy gift. And I had developed a course called Living and Leaving Your Legacy, where I help people um, understand um, what their legacy is, understand that how they live their life becomes their legacy. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to entitle my book Living and Leaving My Books Living and Leaving My Legacy, because that's really what this is. Um, I then added those questions, the journal prompts at the end, because I realized that would really bring the reader in and help the reader then look at his or her own life. And then I left the pages as well for people to journal. And the other thing that I added was the reflection. So at the end of every chapter, I put these reflections Mm -hmm. so that, you know, I stopped doing this in 2016. And then when I was working on it, some of my attitudes had changed, some of my some things had happened in my life that were different that I wanted to reflect on. And often when I do journaling circles with other people, I ask them to go back and look at their, you know, reflect on what they've written and then mm-hmm. write about that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was really an exercise that I was putting into practice myself. Yes. And I just to go over some of the categories that you you uh, had in the book in the first volume, that first chapter about trying to decide what do I do with my journals? And I do think that that is a question that a lot of journalers have. So I was glad that you addressed that. And 
through your um, journal excerpts, you can see you processing through. And I thought it was interesting too that you kept them in the the bank deposit. Um, Yes, in the deposit box there. And just the reflections on the the people working there. What is this woman doing? Why is she putting these books in here? (laughs) Finally, someone asked you. But I do think it's good that you address that here. And then you have your reflection um, and also the journal prompts so that your readers can decipher what do I want to do with my journals? I have a good friend and we have made a pact. You come get my journals if anything happens to me because I haven't totally decided what I want to do with those yet, but I, but you're right. I don't know that I want my family reading it just yet. Um, and, and also there are things in there that are confidences, um, that other people have told me also, I was a teacher and I'm very, um, diligent, I guess, about not sharing names of students, but there have been some really heavy things that I had to deal with as a teacher with different students that I would process through my journals. And I don't want anybody knowing who that was or anything like that. But you don't just want to burn them all or totally dispose of all of them. And and so did you decide to wait the 50 years and, and then give them to your, um, like grandchildren or great grandchildren. Yeah. So I I really have not fully decided that what happened was that when I finished the project, I posted something on Facebook and two of my friends who are historians Mm -hmm. called me and they were mildly hysterical and said, you cannot (laughs) get rid of your journals. You can't burn them because that's what I had thought, you know, I'll just burn them. Mm -hmm. And so they suggested checking archives. So I literally, I wrote to my, my university, Ohio state university and asked them, I wrote to several archives, the Jewish, um, Jewish national women's archive, um, the national, (laughs) anyway, I wrote to a lot Mm -hmm. and, it, it just turned out that no one really wanted them. archivist told me that if I wrote any during Ohio State, she really wanted them. But that was one period of my life when I wasn't writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I decided, and I really would love to leave them to my great grandchildren, providing that there are great grandchildren someday. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. And it would be a really expensive endeavor. And, and I, I mean, I have 380, or more than 380 journals now. Mm-hmm. So who knows you know, where those would go. Right. Um, so as of right now, this moment, um, I do have in my will to have them burned. Mm-hmm. My kids know, my family knows. Two of my friends are artists, and they're starting to talk about doing some kind of art projects with my journals. Oh. So, that, so that's a possibility, too, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not eliminating that. But it is a, you know, it's a really big thing to do. I, I do want to just tell you about legacy journaling because I yes. think that's an important piece of that. So I wrote my journals, as I said, for myself. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that 
there was something to be gained by doing that. So I, I basically would say that I'm a pioneer in, in the field of legacy journaling yeah. because I'd never heard of it before and anyone in the journaling field had never really either. And mm-hmm. so when I did this project, that's what I considered. But something happened that really made me understand the value of this. I, I taught legacy classes with people who had had cancer. Mm. And one of the women, she was at the time she was um, forty when she when she was in my class, but at thirty eight she um, f- had gotten pregnant, found a lump in her breast, mm. felt that maybe um, she had there was something went to her doctor. Her doctor said, "Oh, it's nothing. It's just your pregnancy." She herself had been a nurse. She was doubting, but. Her, you know, every time she would make a suggestion or say something, her parents, as a young child, would kind of reject it. So she just had that. Well, you know, it's probably nothing. Right. And she went back to the doctor two or three times, and each time the doctor said it's nothing. Mm-hmm. After she had her child, she started getting really bad back issues, and eventually, an orthopedic surgeon said, "You have bone. You have cancer in your in your spine," and. She basically had breast cancer that had metastasized. Oh, no. She was so so at the time I was saying you've got a journal, and so she was journaling until she died in in three years later. So she died at forty three. She had a five year old at the time. Mm. Before she died, just a few weeks before she died, her brother called me and said, "Sarah has asked me to call you." and ask if you would be willing to take her journals and just pick out the excerpts that you think would be appropriate for her daughter someday. Mm. So I immediately said yes, knowing that it was going to be a very sacred journey. Yes. And when the box of journals came, I remember I just put them in my daughter's room and they just sat there for about a week. I just couldn't even open it. And then I then I cleared the space for about two and a half weeks she had 10 journals, and I went through them and pulled out the things. I mean, there were things in there definitely. She had no, it was very clear that she had no intention of anyone ever reading them. Right. And she wrote to God mm-hmm. a lot. A lot of, in her journals, a lot of letters were to God, which was really very interesting also. She mm-hmm. was very, she was a Catholic and very religious. But for me to have that, sacred privilege oh, of reading yeah. someone's journey journals and then deciding and what I did after I read them and, and took the excerpts was I sent them to a friend of mine who's a psychologist and I said is there anything in here that you think is not is not appropriate for this child right. as a as a teenager and older to read and she's you know she's there was only one line that we decided made and I had not wasn't not really sure about that line mm-hmm. But to me, being able to do that for this child. And so what I did was I took the cover of one of her journals and I copied it and put the whole thing into a spiral bound, you know, I had a spiral bound book made. So it's, it looks like a journal and, um, and it's one of her covers. And then I sent it to her brother and I said, make sure she does not get this till she's at least 18 Mm -hmm. because don't think it's appropriate for her. I don't think it'll be helpful or good for her. But when she's that age, it's going to really make a huge difference. That's really beautiful that she asked you to do that. And that, and like you said, that is such a sacred 
you know, sacred journals of her journey through cancer. And then for you to get to read those and then choose what her daughter got to read. That's really beautiful and amazing that you got to do that. So that's when I really understood the the real value of legacy journaling. Mm -hmm. Yes. So in your classes, what do you teach people to put in their legacy journals? So I don't, I don't actually um, do that. What I do is the classes are generally um, six to eight weeks, depending. And basically, the greater majority of the class is how you live your life. Mm -hmm. And then second part of the class is leaving your legacy. Mm -hmm. So to me, we don't have to, um, we don't have to say anything. All we have to do is live our life and set the example because that's how people really learn. You know, they, it's not necessarily what we say, but what we do. Mm -hmm. And so I concentrate on that. The purpose is to help them live the very best life to understand that we all we all want to know we matter right. and we all want to be remembered in a certain way. So we need to make sure we're living that mm-hmm. way. So that's the living piece. And then the leaving piece is varied. So it could be writing a journal. For example, I from the day my granddaughters were born, I started writing journals to them. So I have oh. journals for the girls. So that would be, that would personally be a legacy journal because mm-hmm. I'm doing it on purpose. Um, but there are things like doing a video where you pass along, you know, your messages yeah. or an ethical will, which is um, a spiritual document where you write your life lessons, values, beliefs, hopes, and dreams. And that you do specifically to to someone or to your loved ones, you know, it depends. Yeah. Um, to do an audio, to just answer questions, to do some kind of legacy letter to someone, just a, just a letter, mm-hmm. um, to do a collage of pictures. So there are all kinds of legacy projects. And, and in, the, in the second volume, I actually do a lot of helping people understand the value of legacy work. And then I leave, at the end, I have whole list of different legacy projects Mm -hmm. also projects a child could do if they lose a loved one and then and then the third thing is um, how to write an ethical will so Mm -hmm. I kind of combine that because I think that's really important and I really wanted people to understand and I also wrote about the journey of of creating the class and how Mm -hmm. it got started was I had no idea what I wanted to teach but as a former elementary school teacher and, and having taught many different grades in, in different ways, um, I knew I wanted to teach. And so journaling, I was journaling one day in the middle of that year that I was approaching retirement mm-hmm. and I was writing about what am I going to teach? And the word legacy came down and I mm-hmm. said, oh, you know, for 26 years, my job has been to help the Holocaust survivors pass along their legacy to students and teachers. And I said, I wonder if there's something in that. And so I literally journaled until I created the course. And that's how, you know, that's how it all happened. Yes. Well, I I can't wait to read your second book so that we can learn more about 
Sure. The second book is, um, I think, a heavier, heavier in, in content. So in the second one, besides the legacy, I have um, a chapter on friendship, relationships. I have a chapter on death and dying because I've done a lot of hospice mm-hmm. work and working with um, people at the end of their lives doing legacy work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have... For me, the most important writing I've ever done, and that is a chapter called Those Who Are There, and it's 48 vignettes of Holocaust survivors' experiences that people, you know, that they had shared with me through the years. Mm -hmm. And I had always promised the Holocaust survivors that I would live and tell their story. And so this was my way to do that. And how has your work as as a Holocaust educator in working with survivors influenced your legacy work so i'm just going to stop and tell you this clock that's ringing right now was my cousin's when she was very sick Mm -hmm. and when she so she had pulmonary fibrosis and she lived in cleveland i live in miami Mm -hmm. so when i first started doing legacy work she told she called me and said come and do anything with me, practice on me. And so every other month I went up there and she had this beautiful clock that on the hour plays a Beatles tune. And we used to sit and listen to it. And when (laughs) she died, she left it to me and told her sons that this Merle's getting this clock. So I I used to turn it off when I was, you know, doing a Zoom. Mm -hmm. But now I leave it because every hour it just makes me pause and think so how you asked me how my work with holocaust survivors impacted my legacy work Mm -hmm. well the first thing is the survivors really taught me that the um the resilience of the human spirit Mm -hmm. i mean if i learned nothing else and i learned a lot that's probably the most important thing and i understand that that our legacy is is really something that that we don't have to do anything and we're going to leave a legacy mm-hmm. but but for me personally i realize how much the survivors taught me and i want to be able to teach some of the things i learned from them mm-hmm. and some of the things that i've just learned through life li- living and, and so for me i think it's just it's just really helped me to to do the best I can in terms of legacy. I was asked when I um, retired about two years after to speak to a group of child survivors. So child survivors were anyone who was no older than 14 when the war began. Okay. And child survivors, like all survivors, I mean, to them, their legacy of remembrance is the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Some of these, some of them were very young children, six and seven years old when the Holocaust was over. Perhaps they were in hiding or um, in the forest with the partisans mm-hmm. um, and, and some even in a concentration camp. And so that's their legacy. But I asked them, I decided I was going to really be brave. And I asked them to think out of the box. And I said, you, you know, and I, and I acknowledged certainly how important their legacy was, how the fact that they gave their testimony at our Holocaust Center was so important and, right. and that that will live on. But I said, you know, you were no older than a teenager when the Holocaust was over. And you've lived this entire rest of your life 
being very successful, doing all kinds of important things, touching lives, teaching us. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to ask you to think about the rest of your legacy, because for many of them, that's all they could think about. But in fact, I mean, they were successful and lived full wonderful lives so it was it was interesting to see you know for some there was resistance and for others i think there was it was a real aha moment Mm -hmm. like oh there's something else we could be doing yes and that's something that's always fascinated me is you know after having a traumatic um maybe childhood or situation or going through something like the holocaust how do some people overcome it and like you said have that resilient spirit and then why do some people not have that and I've always I think as an educator and working with children and teens I I've often wondered that what makes some people just drive to to overcome and what like help why do some people not are not able to overcome that and it's like they're stuck in that um, in that space. And so I, I think that's really interesting that you share their resilience and that you ask them that, you know, you were through this, but then look at what you've done since then and your legacy after that, at the aftermath of it. And what can we learn from that? And I think that is something that's so important that people need to know more about because, when you are stuck in those situations that are difficult, I think it's inspiring to hear stories like that and to know that other people have been through horrific things and they've overcome it. It just gives you that motivation or inspiration to overcome as well. I will never forget going to a luncheon when I first started working at the Holocaust Center. And so the survivors at the time were in there probably 50s or 60s and I was and I was they were 60s and 70s and I was thinking this is going to be you know boring and you know it's going to whatever I had no idea but I did not expect to have a good time except just talking to the survivors sure they had a band and these survivors got up and it was like being with teenagers the joy in that room I will never forget that teach me an important lesson it was like they had so much life in them and they really did. I mean, they picked up their lives from the ashes mm-hmm. and kept going. And I, you know, you, you said you wonder why some yes and some no. Mm-hmm. And I do think that some of that is just how we're born, mm-hmm. who we are when we're born, the way, you know, the way we look at life or how we're taught to think and feel. Right. So, uh, you know, and I know that there are lots of survivors that I've never met who were, probably locked up in their apartments and miserable. Mm-hmm. So so we were always so fortunate to have these people who were willing to, oh, yeah. to talk about their stories. And it was not easy. You know, right. I knew they weren't going to sleep the night before and they weren't going to sleep the night after we did these wonderful student programs with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, to change topics a little bit, I'm curious about your daily practices with journaling and Um, I read that you were sometimes felt compelled to journal and I'm curious how you got started with that and why, why you felt so compelled to journal throughout your life. When I started journaling, I just, just on a, 
I don't know, on a whim, I picked up a stenographer's pad that I had half filled from a class, a gestalt course I took. Mm -hmm. And my kids were, I was just about to turn 30. So I had two very young children and decided that I would just, I wanted to just write about what was going on. And so I basically just, you know, this is what's happening in my marriage. This is where Rebecca is. This is where Michael is. This is what's going on in my life. And so from 74 till 81, I just would periodically pick up my journal and write. We had moved from Cleveland to Miami mm. and I didn't have a lot of friends in the, the beginning and my journal really became my companion, mm -hmm. but it was not far, it was far from a daily practice. Mm -hmm. In um, 1982, it was September of 82, football season started. My husband's a, a real avid sports fan mm -hmm. and um, at the same time, my friend who was basically my playmate, someone who I would spend time with, you know, on weekends, our kids would play together. We would go off and do whatever. Uh, she got divorced mm -hmm. and she was living a very different life and no longer was she my playmate. So I suddenly had a lot of time to myself and I started going to the beach and I started writing. And that, I would say from 82 on, so I had maybe 12 journals in, in all those beginning years. And yeah. then from then on, I just was writing all the time. When I say compelled, you know, I, I used to say, I don't understand what it is that drives me to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I'm a driven soul. And, you know, when I have a passion, I really, really um, go toward that passion. Yeah. But there are times where I've I've had feelings or thoughts that I have absolutely had to take out my journal and write. And sometimes I might go to sleep and um, wake up in the middle of the night and know that there's no way I'm going to get back to sleep until I write. And then I, I might write for an hour or two hours at a time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't usually write at night. I usually write early in the morning. Yeah. I especially began that when I read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, and she talked about morning mm -hmm. pages, and I did that for many, many, many years. Yeah. I still, that's my favorite time to write. Mine too. I only write at night when I absolutely know that I'm not going to sleep until I get something down on paper. Mm -hmm. I don't write as much. I mean, I was writing multiple times a day during some periods of my life. Since doing this journal project, I realized there are things I just don't have to say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I came across a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah. who cares how long I ran and how much I weighed, you know, uh -huh. those used to be things that would, would record. So, so now basically my journals are really just processing, processing mm -hmm. and reflecting. Yeah. Well, is there any writing advice for our listeners that you'd like to pass on or anything that they could try at home? Sure. There are a few things. Um, first of all, in journaling, I would say that there are no rules except these two. One is to always date your entries, mm -hmm. not only with the day date, but the year as well, because if you ever want to go back and read them, okay. you're going to really want to know what day they are. Uh -huh. They were written. Um, and the second is never to censor what you write. So mm -hmm. it's really important to be able to put it all down. And a long time ago, I told myself that if I hesitate to put something down on paper, 
that I'm not going to allow myself to journal anymore because I just know how important that is. And so a lot of people will say, well, I don't feel safe. I'm afraid someone will read it. Mm -hmm. And this is what I say to that. Don't write in your journal. Take out a piece of paper, write it down, get it out, and you can burn it. You can tear it up. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you need to do, but the, the the gift we give ourselves is by taking it from our heads onto the paper or yes. on the computer. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, of a technique, a lot of people say, well, where do I start? How do I even begin? I don't know. I say, just start with right now I feel mm-hmm. or right now I'm thinking. Um, so, and then a, a technique that I think is really valuable to use besides making lists. Some, t- some people just might want to start by making lists, right. you know, that, that maybe it's too overwhelming to write mm-hmm. a lot, but there's a technique called dialoguing. And this really yes. comes back from Ira Progoff and mm-hmm. it's dialoguing with another person, mm-hmm. but it's really just yourself. It's your inner thoughts working through whatever the issue is. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just feel like I've accomplished so much in working through an issue by dialoguing in my journal mm-hmm. or writing a letter to someone. You know, if, if you've got an issue with someone and you're angry with that person and you don't know how to approach it, my feeling is write the letter, write it multiple times, write about how you're feeling mm-hmm. until you really get to the crux of the issue and mm-hmm. you can confront that person in a positive way, just knowing what you need to say without without being defensive. Mm -hmm. Yes, I like those two prompts with what am I thinking or how am I feeling? And I know I have been very upset with somebody and I will even in my journal write, but then I'll start at the top and I'll write over it. You know, when you're so mad and you just, and so then by the time it's, I've written everything, it's just, almost like five pages on top of each other. So you can't even see what I wrote. And that's something that I've done where I'm like, I'm still getting it out. I can remember, oh, I was really upset about this or that. Um, But nobody can tell what I wrote. And so that's something I've done so that if I have that fear of once this passes, I don't want this person to know. I was really upset inside. So that's something I've done or I have written it on a paper and then ripped it up and even just ripping it up or burning. It feels really good. Um, It does. Yeah. I feel like that's almost a ritual in itself. And yes, so I feel like those are very good um, examples of things that people can try at home if they're haven't journaled, or if you are an avid journaler, maybe some new ideas in the letter to somebody, um, whether it's somebody you maybe need to have a tough conversation with, I feel like writing it in a letter form that you won't give them helps me get my ideas together, or even writing a letter to somebody who's passed, um, or even yeah. the the dialoguing with myself or, um, you know, my dad passed away a few years ago and we were very close and I made dialogue with him in my journal 
because I miss talking to him and I miss getting the advice. But when I dialogue it as if I was having a conversation, I pretty much know what he would have said or, or not. So that's been very helpful for me as well. I think, I think that that's magical. Mm-hmm. I think the dialoguing somehow it, it always comes out that it's the other person's voice mm-hmm. and the advice they're giving or what they're saying is exactly what they would. Right. And say. It, I, I find it fascinating. It's a great tool. Oh, I do too. And, and even if you do it to yourself as if you're having a conversation with yourself, which may sound odd to some people, I think just trying that, I often say you're, all the wisdom you need is inside of you. And so when you journal, that inner wisdom comes out. You have all the answers within. I know I have a daughter who's now 23, and I remember her once asking, well, what do I do about this? And she'd ask like 20 different people. <laughs> and I'm like, just sit down and write about it. You will find the answer. You don't need to ask a whole slew of people. The, the answers are within you. And that's really helped her as it has helped me and many others I know. I can't believe you have a daughter who's 23. I do. Yeah, she lives in San Diego. and mm-hmm. um, I think as a, a mom who's gone through those transitions with having a daughter graduate and um, and move far away, journaling has helped me process some of those transition times. And, and even just last uh, April, she got engaged, which was very exciting. Uh-huh. And then my youngest daughter, who just turned 10, got her ears pierced that same week. And then my son is going to junior high, and I felt very anxious inside. And I thought, for a couple of days, and I thought, what is going on? Why do I feel this anxiety? And when I sat down to journal, I was feeling really anxious about time passing. And I realized I don't have any little littles anymore. And, you know, it was a new transition and change in motherhood. And it just felt like time was slipping away. And that's where the anxiety was coming from. But I feel like journaling for me, too, has really helped me through a lot of transitions in life and processing those feelings, because otherwise they'd just be rolling around inside me and I might not understand, you know, what's how I'm feeling unless I sat down and really journaled it out. Absolutely. It's it. I think journaling is the gift we give ourselves just like legacy work is. I really Mm -hmm. do believe it. Mm -hmm. I did want to mention um, the international association for journal writing. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I'm on the council of that. And, and it is such for people who are interested in journaling, it's such a Mm -hmm. a wonderful community. And prior to my um, joining, I was my, my journaling was very private. Mm-hmm. You know, people knew I journaled, but I didn't talk about it much. Right. And and it really opened a door for me. And they do a monthly journaling together circle. Mm-hmm. It's so it's 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 really a wonderful community. So I just wanted to suggest that 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 those uh, yeah. who are interested may be interested in joining. 
I'm glad that you did mention that, and maybe I'll put a link in the show notes to that, because when I read the foreword to your book, the woman who I believe is the director or chair. No, so Kay Adams, Kathleen Adams, is she is one of the the gurus in journal therapy. She began journal therapy many, many years ago, and Mm -hmm. she's an active member in IAJW, and um, I met her through that. I actually met her through the National Association of Poetry Therapy, but but Kay is is okay. also on the council. Yes, um, it's it's just such a wonderful support, and they have all kinds of really great things. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I have wanted to join some national or international groups, and when I saw that. Uh, she wrote that forward. I thought, oh, I need to join that group. That's something I would be Definitely. interested in. And I think a lot of our listeners would be too. In fact, the um, the head, Linda Monk, who mm-hmm. is amazing. She was a, a therapist, a social worker. Um, I think maybe you might even want to talk to her. I'm gonna, yes, I'm I would love share to. That with you. Yeah, yes. I'm going to show that. Yes. Okay. okay, good. And then how do our listeners learn more about you and order your books where can they find those so my website is merle r saferstein so it's m-e-r-l-e-r-s-a-f-e-r-s-t-e-i-n.com and all my social media is on there and my books and some legacy stuff journaling it's all there okay good and are you still teaching your legacy courses and do you teach those online at all I, I actually, since October of 2012, have taught 68 classes, wow. which is really a lot of classes. <laughs> I have two classes that have been go- going for a very long time. They just keep coming back for more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think I'm going to be doing starting in the fall is teaching classes that will combine um, legacy and journaling and my books. So mm-hmm. I think what I'm going to do is take different topics from my book and each session talk about one of those topics mm. and then maybe journal together, whatever. So that's yeah. kind of what I'm planning as the next step. I think I kind of feel like I've taught enough legacy classes. Mm-hmm. I think I need to move on. Yeah. Um, and so this just feels all of a sudden one day it dawned on me that that might be a really great way to um, to move forward. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll be looking for that too on your socials Thank and you. your, on Thank your you. website as well. Thank you so much for joining us on the Journal with Jenny podcast. I've this conversation's been delightful, and I would I could probably sit and talk with you for hours and hours. So thank hey, you for thank sharing. You. Thank you for having me. Thank yes. you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Thank you for joining Merle and I today on the podcast. Check out my show notes to connect with Merle and learn more about her books, and especially the new one, Living and Leaving My Legacy, Volume 2. Now go and write your day into a beautiful story. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. Get in touch through my website, jennifertraster.com, or on Instagram and Facebook, Jennifer Traster Writes. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Traster. Thank you for joining me. And remember, you have the power to write your own story and live it. Mm-hmm.